listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. If the Church of Jesus Christ is to go forward in this world with profitableness and with faithfulness to Christ, it must do so in conformity to the Word of God. The Scriptures and only the Scriptures must dictate how we are organized and how we work and how we serve Christ in this present evil age. And so we're taking the time to study this first epistle of Paul to Timothy that we'd understand what is the will of God for the church in our day. And today we continue in our studies in chapter 3, beginning at the verse number 8, where the word of God says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Thus says the word of God, and let's bow together in a brief word of prayer as we ask for God's help in our study today. Eternal God, we thank you for the revelation that you've given us in your word of how to conduct ourselves in the church of Christ. Help us, O Lord, to be attentive to the teaching of the word, that we would ensure that our practices are indeed according to truth and not according to the will of man. So give grace, instruct us and teach us today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This chapter in 1 Timothy outlines what we would call the two offices that make up the government of the church. It is, again, the word of God that must determine the organizational structure of Christ's church. And I believe this chapter indicates that there are only two remaining offices in the church namely that of the the bishop elder, and now we see from verse number 8 the office of the deacon. It is vital that we have men in our churches who serve as deacons for the well-being of the church of Christ. This word deacon is simply what we call a transliteration of the Greek word for service. What that means is that We have simply given the Greek letters an English equivalent, and so we get the word deacon. The noun and indeed the verb are used very generally in the New Testament uh, for service or for uh, the servant. It's used of Timothy in chapter 4 and verse number 6. It's also used of Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 verse 1, where Paul refers to her as our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Cancrea. That word servant is the translation of the word for deacon. Christ himself is said to be a deacon. Matthew 20 and the verse number 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 
And the words minister there are again translations of this word group for deacon. But the general usage of the word does not deny the fact that there is a particular church office in view here. This section gives certain qualifications that are used to test men. Verse number 8 begins with the word likewise. Paul, having just detailed the qualities required for the elder, says likewise must the deacons be grave, etc. He's dealing with qualities that must mark these men who would serve in this capacity. It also says in verse number 10 that these men are to be proved, they're to be tested and tried, and let these also first be proved. Clearly from verse number 12, only men can hold this office, like that the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Thus Phoebe, referred to in Romans 16, is not a deacon in this way. I personally would not be in favour of the term deaconess, but we'll say more of this later on. What we have here is a presentation of the qualities for those who will hold and serve in the office of the deacon in the local church. And what I want to do today is simply run through some issues that we have in the Bible regarding the role of the deacon. First of all, we should note that the Bible provides for us a pattern for the role. There is a pattern provided for us, and that's found back in the days of the early church, and it's contained in Acts chapter 6. In the opening verse of Acts chapter 6, there's a problem that has arisen in the church. It says there's a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. This problem's arising because there's a certain group, a needy group, who are perceiving their neglect at the hands of the church. And so the twelve apostles call the multitude of the disciples and they say to the disciples, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so in this section, there is a group of men who are appointed to serve in this particular matter of the administration, the need of the widows in need at that time. And so they lay their hands upon these men, they pray over them, and the Lord blesses this act. It says at the end of this section, verse number 7 of Acts 6, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So the problem that the apostles faced was solved by selecting men to administer the program of help. These temporal needs to ensure that none were neglected and that all was conducted in a fair and transparent manner. In so doing, this enabled the apostles to get on with their God-given duty, referred to here as the ministry of the word and prayer. Now, there is some debate amongst the scholars as to whether or not this is the beginning of the diaconal office. We should point out that the word to serve, used in verse number 2, to serve tables, is again this general word from which we get our word deacon. But in the very least, it does provide a pattern. A pattern whereby the church will not neglect the physical needs of others. 
but at the same point, ensuring that the prayerful labor of the word is not hindered by the necessity of providing for the needs of others. And it is that balance that we find in this portion. The deacons were appointed so that the word of God would not be hindered, at the same time providing for the needs, the physical needs, of those within the church assembly. And that pattern, we will see, works its way out in the rest of the scriptures. The second thing we should note is the purpose, therefore, implied for the role. From this pattern and from the word group that is used, namely the word group to serve, we see that the diaconal role has as its particular focus acts of kindness to those in need. Historically, there has been this distinction between the office of the elder and the office of the deacon. The elder's responsibility is to conduct the spiritual care and nurture of the church, and the deacon has as its primary focus the physical and temporal needs of the body of Christ. Now, we should understand that this care for the church is the work of every Christian individually. This is often forgotten about, and tragically so. James tells us in James 1 verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And clearly, true religion has to have this aspect of separation from the world's wickedness. But there must also be this service, the service that the church offers to the world in its need, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. James too would tell us that if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? James there is dealing with the matter that true saving faith works itself out in works of kindness and charity and compassion to those in need. It's not enough to pray for someone, depart in peace. It's important also to be practical in the ministration of these particular helps. There's a third testimony in this regard, and that comes from 1 John chapter 3, where it says there, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so we understand that in the word of God, uh, these acts of Charity and compassion are at the very core of the living out of the Christian life. That those who have true saving faith, that those who have the love of God within them, that those who profess true religion, they are those who are committed to serve others in their community. You should study in your own time the words of Christ in Matthew 25 verses 34 to 40 where you will see that acts of service are actually used as the very evidence of true saving faith. That those who are righteous and know the Lord, are the sheep in the separation from the goats, they are marked out by their heart and their deed of service for the church of Christ. So this care is a work of every Christian individually, but it's also a work of the church corporately. Uh, and we will see this in our studies of First Timothy chapter 5, in Galatians chapter 6, it reads, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, 
especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Paul says in Hebrews 13, But to do good and to communicate forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And so in these verses we see that this heart of charity for others that is within the heart of the true child of God is then shown and worked out in the church corporately. That the church as a body takes on the responsibility of ensuring that they will care for those with particular temporal and physical needs. And before we move on, there are a couple of lessons that we shouldn't miss here. The prayerful ministry of the word is the primary task of the church. What we've seen thus far makes it apparent that nothing must hinder the task of prayer and the ministry of the word. If nothing must hinder and undermine that, then no matter what else, the word must be preached in the church in the context of prayer. And that's a a very searching premise. Sometimes churches have lost sight of this. They've understood correctly the impulse of the word of God that they would help and minister physically and practically practically to those around them. But in so doing, they've neglected the study of the word. They've neglected prayer. They've, They've neglected the preaching of Christ. It's crucial that if you're listening to this, that you assess the life of your church and say, is there proper time being given to prayer and to the ministry of the word? Has my pastor, my elders, have they been distracted by physical and practical things and they've lost sight of their responsibility to bring the word of God? Perhaps it may be that you're a pastor listening to this program. Can I remind you the words of Paul in Acts chapter 20 where he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. There is this primacy of the word of God. And if God has assigned the preaching of the word such a place, I ask you, dear church member, does the word of God occupy that place of importance in your life? Why would God assign such a place of importance in the life of the church to the word of God if he did not view it to be vital in the life of those who gather as the church? The task of ministering the word requires hearers Therefore, no matter who may preach, the people of God must pray and they must sit under the word and that must be a non-negotiable priority for the Christian. Saturday night should have Sunday in mind. Every effort should be made to be under the word, to pay attention to the word. God has said in the instructions of the church, the word of God is of primary importance. That it should be your burden every time the word of God is preached faithfully. You've got to be there and you've got to attend to that word so long as providence does not hinder you from so doing. So if the church is to grow, it will grow when the word of God has that primary place and that primary focus. But the primary task is not the only task. We must not neglect the secondary duties of temporal help, content in the knowledge that we performed the first. We need a functioning diaconate. We need church bodies that function as they ought to function in the ministering of help to those within the body of Christ and also to those without. And let me read to you again the words of Galatians chapter 6. 
As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Hence we must hear this carefully. The secondary tasks of the church must never become the primary, but the primary task must not be the solitary task. We must ensure that in our church life we emphasize the primacy of the preaching of the word of God, but at the same point we do not neglect the other responsibilities of ministering to the needs of the body of Christ and also to the needs of those in our wider community as opportunity comes. Now the application of this is not always easy. There's various uh, complications, but the principle must be held in our hearts. And then by God's grace, we will seek to work out the application. And so we've seen thus far the pattern that God has provided for this role. We see the purpose implied for the role, uh, namely that of serving um, temporal and physical needs. And the third thing we should note are the people performing the role. Let me put it to you in one sentence. Those who perform the role are qualified men who receive help from others. They are to be suitably qualified men. We have the list here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They are to be grave, not double-tongued, not given much wine, not greedy, filthy lucre, those things. And there is much overlap with what we've seen in our studies of the elders and their uh, qualities. So, without going into too much detail here, I want to summarize by saying that these are men of solid character, with sound doctrine, and with a stable family. Now, please note the mention here of doctrine. They are said to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Paul reminds Timothy that although the task of the deacon may be practical, these men must be spiritual men. They must be doctrinally sound men. Uh, this phrase, the mystery of the faith, is common to Paul and describes the gospel that is hidden to natural man but has now been revealed by the Spirit of God. Thus these deacons are to men who know the gospel. The doctrine of the gospel is theirs. They're, they're to be saved men, not just practical men, not just able men, but they're men who are full of the Holy Ghost, as we saw in Acts chapter 6. They are men who are spiritual men. They don't succumb to error. You see, although these men are not rulers in the church, they are so involved as to have great influence in the church. They're going to involve the people. They're going to be involved with vulnerable people. And hence, they could be a potential source of error and division. Hence, the teaching of Paul is that these men must be sound in faith, solid character, sound doctrine with a stable family. These are suitably qualified men. But they're also men who receive help from others. And here we find the issue of the woman being brought to the fore. It says there in verse 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. This has caused, to some degree, a little debate in the church. How do we translate the word that is translated wives here in verse number 11? It is a general word. It can be used for women or for wives. 
There are some who claim that this is a reference to the diaconess and that uh, that there are that are women are to hold this office. And again, there are some who hold that in all sincerity, and they're not seeking to deny the word of God. The word that is used there does mean wife, however, in verse number 2 and verse number 12. Verse 12 says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. And so it would seem likely that in the context that in verse number 11, the word also is referring to wives, the wives of those who will serve as deacons. So why would Paul list some qualifications for the wife? They must be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Well, it is my opinion that the reason is that the wives will be particularly used by God in the helping of their husbands in the role of the diaconate. There is no similar word regarding the wives of elders. For the wives of elders do not share in the particular role of the elder. They are not involved in the rule of the church. But the wives will be involved in the assisting of others in the work of God in the diaconate. I think that's a a reasonable understanding of these verses, that the deacons do share their duties with their wives, and it is much appropriate that the deacon would work alongside their own wives rather than someone else's wife. Hence the wives are to be marked by these qualities. And I think in that respect, Phoebe, as a servant, as, again, the word for deacon in Romans chapter 16, I think Phoebe fulfilled diaconal tasks. that She provided those temporal, physical tasks of service in the church of Christ, serving alongside and with the deacons in the work of God. And please understand that while the word of God is clear, that it is men who hold these church offices, It does not in any way lessen the beneficial role that women play in the work of God. We saw in a recent study that the ladies are to be involved in teaching other women. And here we see that women have a vital role to serve in the service of the Church of Christ. So we thought then about the people performing this role. Fourthly then, note the practice required in the role. How should deacons serve? Well, there are thoughts that arise from the qualifications that are mentioned here. They are to serve seriously. These are men who are grave. Similarly, the wives are also to be sober. There is no such thing as a menial task in the service of God. Whatever task we occupy in the work of Christ, it is to be occupied with a sense of solemnity and seriousness. They are also men who will perform their role discreetly. They are not double-tongued. They are not a slanderer, referring to the ladies in verse number 11. When you're dealing with the financial needs of people within the Church of Christ, there is a need for those who serve to serve with discretion, to be able to hold things with a uh, with a closed mouth that is uh, willing to keep things private. They will also serve honestly. They're not greedy. When we think of Judas who had the bag, he had the the purse and handling the money in such a way that opened up the heart of this man to do that which was wicked. You don't want someone serving financially in the church who likes money more than he ought. 
Hence, they're not greedy or filthy looker. They'll also serve reliably. They care for their homes. They're faithful. They're reliable. We need men to serve as deacons in our church who can be counted on. That when there's a job to be done, they will do it with all of their hearts as unto the Lord. These things, I believe, should mark everything we do for the Lord in his church. Whoever you are, whatever your gifts, whatever your task is for the Lord in his church today, you ought to be doing those jobs seriously, discreetly, honestly and reliably. And finally, as we close, note this section concludes with a promise that is attached to the role. Verse 13 says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These are very interesting words, but they they give a they give a sense of motivation and encouragement to the men who serve. There, there's a promise here, a promise of a good reputation. They purchase to themselves a good degree. The word degree here speaks of dignity and honor. That is something that is to be desired. Proverbs chapter 22 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Do you care about your reputation? Do you care about how others see you in the community? Well, you ought to. A good name is to be chosen more than great riches. And a faithful deacon is a great gift to a church. And they are indeed men who will have this good reputation, this good degree. They're also given the promise of great boldness in the faith, a good reputation and great confidence. This word boldness is used of confidence or freedom of speech, used this way even in regard to preaching and prayer. But I think here it speaks of assurance. Perhaps the sense is that God honours those who serve him with the confidence of their acceptance, that they understand that as they serve Christ. He rewards them with the assurance of their standing in Christ. They have great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It is a wonderful thing to be part of a biblically ordered church. To have those serving the church who care for the flock of God. Christ cares for his people. Hence Christ himself has instituted these things for the well-being of of his sheep. The blood of Christ that purchases our redemption is the blood that ensures the well-being of the Lord's people today and in the days to come. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.